Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this episode, we'll be giving you an overview of all the news that was fit to print at this year's Fortune Brainstorm Tech Conference. Among the topics we'll cover are what the prevailing wisdom was in Aspen when it comes to artificial intelligence, how the gig economy is driving a wave of acquisitions, and the two-way street of innovation some of those acquisitions have opened up, and when you should expect to be able to grab your copy of a book that's in the works about how to adopt what we at Three Pillar call the product mindset. Here with us today to discuss those topics and more are David DeWolf and Jonathan Rivers. David DeWolf is the founder and CEO of Three Pillar Global. David lives at the intersection of business, technology, and leadership. After starting Three Pillar almost by accident at the age of 26, he has grown the company to nearly 1,000 employees around the globe. Three Pillar has won numerous awards for rapid growth, including being recognized on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing private companies in the U.S. for seven of the last eight years. Jonathan Rivers is the CTO at Three Pillar. He leads our product and engineering teams, which include more than 750 software engineers, product consultants, product managers, quality assurance, and user experience professionals. Prior to joining Three Pillar, Jonathan was the interim CTO at Telegraph Media Group and served as its Director of Service Delivery and Operations. As Senior Director of Web Operations and Customer Support at PBS, Jonathan helped transform PBS into a digital leader. Welcome back to the podcast, David and Jonathan. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, David, let me start off by asking you, before you went out to Aspen, you read a blog post about the three topics you were looking forward to hearing and talking more about voice controls and artificial intelligence, the impact of the gig economy, and retail disruption. So of those three, did any one stick out to you? You know, I I think the one that really popped and I saw as an overarching theme across almost the entire conference was the gig economy. Whether it was Uber or DoorDash or TaskRabbit or Lyft, over and over again, the the theme, and, and almost it was a who's who, of executives on stage uh, talking about the gig economy and how it's changing things. Um, and so I, I think that was quite telling uh, to me. I would layer onto that a couple of themes. There was definitely a, a focus of the gig economy as a whole, but also transportation and logistics and how that fits into the gig economy and how that's specifically being changed by the gig economy. Um, and especially, I think, um, kind of the last mile of transportation uh, stuck out to me. Uh, whether that's bikes or scooters, right? The things that aren't the automobiles that we've gotten used to, um, but beyond that. Um, and so um, I, I think the gig economy uh, is real and growing momentum and more and more businesses being talked about, about how it's changing and disrupting the way we do some from very traditional things like transportation, like logistics, that really popped. Yeah, like grocery shopping in the future, perhaps. Totally, yep. Yep. So Jonathan, let me ask you, you've talked in the past about how you believe AI is basically, AI being artificial intelligence, obviously, is basically a fancy wrapper on machine learning. Can you explain what you mean by that? And did anything you heard or discussed at Brainstorm Tech change that opinion? Sure. So, I mean, the the notion that there is no real AI right now is is fairly important to me uh, because what we're calling AI is just machine learning or deep learning mixed with a couple of other different technologies, something like natural language processing image recognition, computer vision. The reason it's not AI is it can't reason. None of it has actually passed a Turing test yet. 
right? So, so no AI out there is, is thinking or reasoning. These are just business automation or, or quote unquote, intelligent agents that we're doing. And I, I think I spent a lot of time at brainstorm going to the various, uh, AI breakouts and talking to a lot of people about those technologies. And I came away with that really being echoed back at me. You know, the, the notion that, um, everybody in the room wanted intellectual honesty about what they were building, right? So they were all very, very specific and calling each other out when using really marketing heavy AI terms, right? There was a demand for, all right, are you talking about supervised or unsupervised learning, right? Is it, is it really AI or is it just machine learning that is getting you better search results? And I think, you know, people talking about that wanted to get off the hype bandwagon and talk very, very seriously about what it can do for business. And so a lot of the talk got away from the really hyper-centralized stuff and, and got very real and very practical. So David, let me come back to you on the gig economy and more specifically TaskRabbit. I know they're a company you've long been a fan of from following you on Twitter, uh, and they were recently acquired by IKEA. That represents a sea change in IKEA's business model. What did you learn from TaskRabbit CEO Stacy Brown Philpot's interview? You know, one of the things that I think is is fascinating is to see how some of these innovative, disruptive companies begin to integrate with the legacy business world. Right, there are a lot of traditional businesses that are grasping at straws, trying to figure out how do we embrace technology and disruption and begin to change our business models. And one of the things I, I appreciated most about Stacy's interview was her discussion about how that learning is going in both directions. There's no doubt that IKEA embraced and brought in TaskRabbit for the sake of um, really figuring that out. How does this digital economy impact their business as a retailer? And what was interesting was to hear her speak about some of that and how that's happening, but also the exact opposite. There were things that she was mentioning about how they're learning from IKEA and, and learning from being part of a much larger, older organization that excels um, you know, at cost controls, excels at logistics, excels at some of the things that you don't think of naturally when you think about innovative and disruptive uh, technology companies. And so I was fascinated by that combination and uh, how those two worlds are coming together and, and how it seems like they have done a good job of identifying a culture fit where they can bring different experiences to the table, but integrate them together. Yeah, I think it was interesting. You know, it was also echoed through uh, the conversation around Walmart, where what we're seeing is digital transformation through acquisition. And that's really fascinating when you start to think about it, where Walmart acquired Jet.com and used that to transform its e-commerce and start transforming its business. And then at the same time, the digital natives are reaping the benefits of having infrastructure and starting to think about supply chain and logistic, just like, you know, TaskRabbit has. And so you have these two big brick and mortar retailers who have acquired their way into digital transformation. And that's a different kind of thing. It was, it was really interesting to see that play out on two different stages. And, and then I think also on a micro level, even looking at some of the digital disruptors, um, you know, like the Ubers, like the Lyfts that are getting into that last mile transportation by acquisitions themselves, 
right? Um, fascinating how that kind of flows downhill and, and everybody's kind of taking this very acquisitive approach to staying up with the latest and the greatest. And so I'm not familiar with Jet.com. What's what what is or was Jet.com? Uh, so so Jet.com uh, is an e-retailer um, okay. that actually has exploded and um, was competing um, with some of the kind of everyday product uh, sales in the online world um, that, if I remember correctly, we'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but uh, sold to Walmart for billions of dollars. Nice. So uh, you've both been on the speaking circuit a bit over the last several months. I want to see how sharp you're keeping the saws because we have grand plans for you both to take more stages this year and on into 2019. David, can you give listeners the Cliff's Notes version of the talk that landed you on stage at the Gartner Tech Growth and Innovation Summit in San Diego this spring? Wow, you are challenging me here. I got I got to remember that one because you're right. You've been putting me on so many. I don't remember which one I gave where. I know, so. right? <laughs> so if it helps, this was end of April, I think, maybe beginning of May. There yeah, were a bunch of events in there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, there, there are a couple talks that I'm giving. The one specifically there um, was about the monetization of data. And, and more specifically, I think an even more accurate word is the consumerization of data. How do you productize your data? How do you take it to market? And, and over and over again, what we're seeing is that companies are looking at data as this great asset. And we, we all know that data is fueling the digital economy. But where a lot of businesses are struggling is they've got all this data. They don't know what to do with it. And they tend to excel at how do you operationalize that data? How do you drive savings out of your business? But there are only so many pennies that you can save by leveraging data to find more operational efficiencies. Where we find the power of data in the digital economy is figuring out how do you monetize it in new ways through the productization, right? Through really commercializing that data and, and building products around it that allow you to leverage it for growth. Um, so how do you take that data, whether that's information, whether that's content, right, your data assets, and put it into the hands of your consumers? And th there are three fundamental ways that we see just kind of at a kind of a, a, a higher level that the companies need to start thinking about this and the maturity of it. The first one is you've got to make your data accessible, right? Uh, there is a tendency with data to think, oh, this is my core asset. I've got to keep it secret. I got to keep it private. The companies that are exploding, the ones that are really leveraging their data are the ones that are giving it away. Um, and I don't necessarily mean giving it away for free, but in many cases, that, that is the case. But you've got to make it accessible. You've got to let people interact with your data, find the insights, um, be able to leverage it for their value in order to, to monetize it to the greatest ability. Uh, the second one is that you've got to make that data approachable. And, and by that, I mean data is scary. We're all overwhelmed with so much data. Um, and it's coming at us all of the time and we get paralyzed by it and we don't know what to do with it. And so you've got to boil it down. You've got to have great user experiences. You have to surface what is meaningful from the data if you truly want to drive value from your data. Um, and then the last thing is automation, right? And this goes back to a little bit of the conversation we've been having about AI and machine learning. And right, you've got to do things on behalf of your customers, right? You've got to do things proactively for them, tell them, you know, what to do. And, and so the, the great example I use in the talk is we all look at the automobile industry and what they're doing with connected cars and automated 
um, you know, driving and autonomous vehicles and all this kind of stuff say, oh, what are the most, um, you know, innovative technology applications out today? And, and I would argue that that's actually innovation with data, right? That is an information product, right? When we think about vehicles, it is the sensors on those vehicles picking up just gobs and gobs of data that enables that automation, right? You want to self-park a vehicle, right? The, the, the autonomous parking. Well, a information product would be one where we have that information, you have everything that you need in order to know how to park the car, right? Or you could boil it down and make it more approachable by saying, okay, this is the degree I want you to turn your wheel. This is how the tires need to go back up at this, you know, at this speed. But automation is what makes that actually useful, right? If I'm driving a car and I have all that information coming at me, it's just overwhelming and paralyzing. But the automation is actually the vehicle doing itself and me pushing a button and saying, parallel park here, right? And I think that's where all products need to go is to the point where, yes, it's accessible. Yes, it's approachable. But tomorrow, if you want to be relevant, you better be autonomous as well. You better be leveraging that data to provide value proactively, leveraging the technology with the data. And that's truly what this digital disruption is all about. Okay, got it. And Jonathan, I guess the element of surprise is somewhat gone, but let me throw you a curveball and we'll see if you can hit it. We just had the All-Star game here in DC. So we have baseball on the brain. You'll be on stage at Black Hat in Las Vegas in a few short weeks, future event. That's the curveball talking about why great algorithms don't make great products. What's the crux of that talk? Yeah, so if you think about it, there are roughly 2,500 companies in the cybersecurity space right now. Another 300 are likely to join that number next year. And arguably, they all have good ideas. They all have that special sauce that makes them special and, and why you would want to buy them. They have these great algorithms that are going to detect nefarious traffic and, and stop. But here's the thing. If those products are not useful or easy to use, they're not going to get implemented. If you talk to any CIO out there, you ask them, you know, how many bandwidth providers do you, ha do you have? And he'll say two. And you ask him, how many data centers do you have? And he'll say two. And you ask, you know, how many SANs do you have? And, and, and they'll say two. And you say, how many security, uh, cybersecurity providers do you have? They'll say 50. And you think about that and these products are incomplete. They are focused on one job and one job only. And the secure and, and IT companies are having to stitch many, many of them together to make a solution. And that's the thing. The companies aren't working on productizing their products, right? They aren't working on the full customer experience. They're putting together a quick algorithm that solves one problem, throwing it out into a glutted market and hoping for market share and adoption. And what we're seeing is a large number of zombie companies, companies who have enough customer base to make a couple of dollars, but not actually interesting enough to get acquired. And so that's the secret, you know, true success in that space is going to come from building products that are usable, useful, and desirable things that will actually get used and protect companies and see market share either for market dominance on their own or to actually get acquired in the marketplace. And so what I'm going to talk to people about is how do you take a good idea? and make a product out of it instead of just leaving it as an idea that somebody has to stitch or weave in to their total security solution. 
Okay, and that, that segues nicely into the next question. We've talked a lot about product and productization. David, I don't want to spoil the surprise too much, but I've been hearing rumblings in the hallways of a really big undertaking that's going to be ready for the world to see sometime later this year. Usually when we're talking about something like that, it's about a, a digital product that one of our teams is developing for a client. In this case, however, it's going to be something analog rather than, or maybe in addition to digital. It's a book. Yeah. What can you tell us about the book that you and Jessica Hall have been working on for the last several months? Yeah. Yeah. We are uh, in the process. Uh, we have gotten through kind of the core writing phase uh, and now the content is all out there and it's all, all about the editing process and, and actually pulling it together into a book. So it's it's been a new undertaking, something that's brand new to me, um, but has been a lot of fun uh, because the reality is uh, actually tomorrow marks the 12th anniversary of Three Pillar, if you can believe it. And um, this is really all about the lessons we've learned along the way. And, and, and the core lesson is that it takes a product mindset, really thinking about what makes product, software product, fundamentally different than other types of software. That thinking is what is required to be successful in this digital economy and to truly innovate. And understanding those differences and then adopting the mindset that helps you to drive towards the success of those differences. Um, and so this book uh, is called The Product Mindset. Um, it's the thinking that you need in order to be successful and to lead digital transformation in your business. Um, and, and so Jess and I have been working on it. Uh, these concepts are, are really about the story of Three Pillar and how we uncovered this mindset and how it relates to the, the methodologies that are out there already, right? This is not yet another thing, right? So we already have agile methodologies. We already have the lean startup. We already have design thinking. Those are phenomenal tools, but they tend to be tools uh, that are used by a constituency, right? So agile development for engineers, design thinking uh, for user experience professionals, the lean startup by product managers. What we have found is that executives and all of these teams need a common lens. They need a common way of thinking um, in order to apply these tools and to use them. And so that's what we go into. We, de we describe the difference between, you know, any old software, right? The integration that you have within your enterprise um, and, and those types of apps versus a product that you're actually using to compete in the digital economy, engage with your customers and drive revenue growth. And uh, there are some fundamental differences. And then based on those differences in the book, we describe you know, what is the thinking you need to adopt and how do you promote that thinking and get everybody thinking on the same page? Um, and, and so it's both the, the theory behind that, right, the characteristics of the product, as well as the tangible application about how you go and build that culture within your organization that has the ability to thrive. Um, and it's based on, uh, you know, hundreds of products and experiences that we've had over the last 12 years. Okay, very nice. And it will be out in the end of the year? It, it, probably closer to the beginning of the year. Um, you know, launch plans to be determined, um, but but coming soon. Uh, definitely the book is starting to come together and, and we will have a, um, a manuscript uh, in about the next month uh, that we'll be reviewing. And uh, we want to we wanna get it out there and uh, really share uh, the three pillar story, uh, but more importantly, the lessons that we've learned uh, to help others compete and uh, to, to help push forward this digital economy that we're seeing explode. Congratulations on 12 years. Unbelievable. Happy, happy birthday, yeah, I guess I should say. It's unbelievable to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. We look forward to, uh, look forward to the book coming out in the fall. Look forward to having you speak at Black Hat, Jonathan, uh, and, and David, uh, many, many more stages in the future. 
Uh, and thanks for joining us for uh, for this podcast and giving us a recap of Fortune Brainstorm Tech. Always. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was great. Thanks, Bill. The Innovation Engine Podcast is brought to you by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. Head to www.3pillarglobal.com to learn more about our services. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Spotify, and we post extensive show notes for each episode on the Three Pillar website at threepillarglobal.com slash podcast. That's three with the number three. Don't forget, we also have an iOS app for the Innovation Engine. Search for the Innovation Engine on the App Store from your iOS devices. Last but not least, we're always striving to improve here on the Innovation Engine podcast, and we get asked often, who listens to it? We can see from our analytics that a pretty healthy number of you do listen, but raw download numbers don't do much to help us learn who out there is listening, what your day-to-day jobs are like, and what kinds of topics or which specific guests you might like to hear from. So if you'd like to help make the innovation engine a little bit better, please take a few short minutes out of your day and shoot me a quick email with some of that information. Will.Sherlin at threepillarglobal.com is my email address. Also, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and message me there. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll see you next time.